at the risk of, of getting many angry, angry stares and letters this week. Um, as we start our, our sermon this morning, the greatest intro to me is the problem that I have with the King James. Now, I love the King James overall. The thing about the King James that bothers me sometimes is nothing against the, the translation itself. It has to do with something they had no control of. And it was the choice of language they had that they could use when they wrote it. Specifically for me, there is one phrase that's in the King James. And because it's in the King James, it's in almost every hymn that we sing about it. And that is Holy Ghost. Now, y'all are looking at me like, what's wrong with the Holy Ghost? Let me tell you. My issue isn't that it's the Holy Ghost, because I, I fully believe in the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. My issue was with the word ghost. What is a ghost? A ghost is, by definition, something that was once alive, but is now dead. The Holy Ghost is not dead. The Holy Ghost is alive. See? Proving my point. See? That's right. See? Amen. Hallelujah. Well, there it is. The Holy Spirit is a living thing. And it lives within us. He lives within us. And so, as I come to that, and as I pondered that this week in our series, Monsters in Church, Dysfunctional Disciples of Christ, I came to that monster of ghosts. Ghosts in church. Um, you know, if, if you watch any of those classic shows, even Casper, the friendly ghost, you know, ghosts have some things in common. And as I, I prayed, I was like, okay, God, what does the ghost have to do with church besides the Holy Ghost? Um, because to me, a ghost is never a positive thing most of the time. A ghost... Nobody wants to move into a haunted house. People believe in those things. I don't believe in those things. Some people do. I've had a long discussion with people about that. To me, that's a bunch of hooey. There are, there are things. There are creaks. There are things that happen. If you sit in this church at night, there are noises. Why? Because there are drafts. And so if you're sitting back here in the hallway and the wind blows, you think somebody's coming in the door. Why? Because those doors are out. Sounds like somebody's coming in. Well, when you look at this, and as I came to this passage this morning, we're going to look at it, it's in Acts chapter 19. And ghosts in church are a very certain set of people who, who have a certain set of characteristics that trouble the vision of not only themselves, but the people that they worship. So this morning, as we look at Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7, it says, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him. We haven't even heard that there is the Holy Spirit. Then what baptism were you baptized with? He asked them. With John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in other languages and to prophesy. 
Now, there were about 12 men in all. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we come to you right now. We thank you. We praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for men. First thing we see in this passage is the ghosts in church are fully devoted to what used to be. They're fully devoted to what used to be. They were devoted to John's teachings, correct? These were disciples. And, and by definition, when, when the word disciple is used here, this isn't just a disciple of John. This says that they were disciples. And so Paul would have believed them to be a disciple of Jesus as well. Now, if you look at any chronology of the New Testament, and you look about Acts 19 and where it was written, it is written 23 years after Pentecost, give or take. That's a long time to be written after Pentecost and the Holy Spirit coming upon the church and to reply, well, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. They're in Ephesus. Ephesus has had an outpouring of the Spirit. Paul has written to the church in Ephesus. There are things going on. And, and these people, though, they are devoted to the teachings about Jesus that John had given. They knew all the things that John had said. And they were devoted to those teachings. They knew they had to follow the one who came after. They even, it seems, knew who the one who came after was. But they didn't quite understand the true reality. The problem happens is that we get fully devoted to what used to be. We get fully devoted to what we were always taught, whether or not it was taught correctly. We find ourselves struggling with changes because well, we see something we go, oh my goodness, you're changing the theology. Are we changing theology sometimes or are we rediscovering what was really meant? Are we peeling away the layers of tradition? Ghosts in the church are fully devoted to what used to be. Well, we've always done it that way. We talked about this last week too, a little bit. Some of these bleed over each other. We've always done it that way. This has always happened. This is the way, this is the way outreach is done. Can I tell you about Jesus? No. Uh, that's how that's today's outreach most of the time. People don't want to talk. People don't want you at their door most of the time. It's a very hard thing to do. 30 years ago, that was outreach. And it worked wonderfully. Because 30 years ago, people welcomed you into their home. 30 years ago, people were like, sure, come in. Have a, have a glass of tea. You want a Coke? Can I offer you some cake or cookies or pie? There's always food involved. <laughs> it's always there. And so many of us get caught up in what used to be. What was back there? The glory days are there. We're caught up in it. These disciples knew exactly what John had taught. They knew exactly what it was they were supposed to believe. But they were so devoted to it, somehow they were missing what was going on around them. They're in Ephesus. They're near Ephesus. They're, they're near this center of this place that Paul is traveling around and we know the outpouring of the Spirit is happening. We know these things are going on. And 23 years after the fact, they've missed it. They don't understand it. And so they find themselves there. The second point really comes from back to Exodus. We're back to, I'm in Exodus a lot in this series, I know. But in times of trouble, church ghosts find peace in past memory rather than future hope. Remember what happened every time in Exodus? God, if you would only let us stay in Egypt. Man, you brought us out here and now we're going to die. We could, have, we could have died in Egypt. We could have lived fat and happy and it would have been okay. You should have left us back there. It doesn't matter. 
was this horrible place and they were going through back-breaking labor and then they couldn't keep up. That didn't matter. What mattered was, well, the way I remember it. You ever had one of those times where you remembered something some way and then you go back years later and it wasn't like you remembered it being? These people had left out of Egypt. They had been crying out to God for hundreds of years. God, this is backbreaking. God, help us here. And they and they were on this. They were, this is it. And God pulls them out. They're not even a day into it. They're headed to the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's behind them, and God's in front of behind them, and then there's the Red Sea, and they're freaking out. And then God parts the Red Sea. They get on dry ground. He takes out all of Pharaoh's army. They get out in the wilderness a little while and they get hungry. They were like, you know, five and six year olds in the car. I'm hungry! Can we go to McDonald's? You know, they didn't have, they thought there was a McDonald's. I don't know, a McManor or something out there. You know, it was, we're hungry! We don't want to eat this manna stuff anymore. Can you, this is, oh, if we would only would have stayed in Egypt. They were starving in Egypt. They didn't remember that. Church ghosts, when times of trouble come, they begin looking at the past memory and finding peace there rather than looking at the future hope. You know, tough times come on churches. Tough times come on individuals. And it's so easy to say, well, I remember back in the 70s when we were packed. I remember, I remember when, when everybody was here and mom and dad were here and grandma and grandpa and all the kids and the grandkids and everybody was here and that's the way it happened. I wish we could get back to that. Maybe that's a good wish. But what else could God do that is so much better than what we remember? Man, for the Israelites, they could have gone back to slavery. But God wanted to give them their own promise. Church ghosts get caught up in the past. And in focusing on the past, church ghosts miss the greater blessing of the future. Paul meets them and he's excited because he's made, met some disciples. And he says, man, have you, do you have the Holy Spirit? Huh? The Holy what? We, we don't even know that there is a Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit? Can you imagine that conversation? They're missing the Holy Spirit. I mean, they've got all the blessings that John's baptism can give them. They've repented. They've seen Jesus. they found this following. They know what to do. But they're missing the power I bought a uh, an old video game system once. And he arcs up. It was an old one. I like the old games. Like Atari. And regular Nintendo. Because I'm old. With this new stuff, I'm kind of I'm not ambidextrous. Um, and I got it home. And I hooked all the wires up. And there was no power. 
I can't play without a power cord. These disciples were claiming Jesus and claiming salvation and, and claiming all the promises that, that come from Jesus, but they missed the power. They're not plugged in. They're, they're outside the vine. The branches have been cut off. It's amazing because what happens is when we focus on the past, we miss the things that are coming. You don't drive while looking in the rearview mirror. Right? I hope. <laughs> Maybe I should ask that as a question. You don't drive while looking in the rearview mirror, correct? I mean, that's not. You're not supposed to. You may glance at it to see what's behind you, but you don't watch the rearview mirror and try to drive. Because there's stuff coming at you that you're going to miss. There's stuff that you need to be able to be ready for. You need to know. You know, kids make it infinitely harder to drive, right? How many exits, parents, have you missed because you're talking to the kid in the back seat? There's an exit coming up, and you know it's there. See, I hear that laugh. And you're going along, and you look back, and you say, you better stop that, and you go, oh! I was supposed to get off there. And if you're in Fort Worth, you're in trouble. Because it's 45 minutes to get back to that exit again. Right? When you're focused on the past, you can't, you can't get the greater blessings of the future. When we focus on the former glory, we miss the work of God in the here and now. And when we focus on the past, we can't move forward. Joshua chapter 1. When Joshua just lays it out. Let's go. I'm going into the promised land. I'm doing this. You can follow me, or you can leave. I mean, that's basically it. That's my, again, it's the New International Troy version. But it's this you can't move forward while looking in the past. That was the problem the first time, right? They came to the river. And it was so scary. They said, nah, they ain't going in there. Because they knew that here was a scary place. And these people were bigger than these people back here. And so if it was scary there, imagine how scary it's going to be there. And I'm not going to do that because they're focused on what was happening back here. They couldn't see what God was going to do up here. And so they couldn't go this way. They couldn't move forward. They were paralyzed with fear. When we focus on the past, we get paralyzed. We stand in one spot and we can't move forward. We can't go where we need to go. We find ourselves floundering around trying to figure out what it is that we need to do. Joshua said, leave Moses. That's what he was told. Leave Moses behind and leave Joshua. He's followed Moses all his life. Moses has been the man for Joshua all of his life. That's the guy God talks to. Kind of pressure did Joshua have to feel in that moment? Remember, a couple of years ago, a couple of years ago, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about that whole issue with Miriam and Aaron and them stepping up, remember? And them saying, no, we don't like your wife. And them trying to have a coup and take over the power. And God did what? He said, uh uh, I talked to Moses. Moses is my guy. Moses is the one who can walk into the cloud and talk to me. Moses is it. Joshua chapter 1, Moses is dead. 
He's gone. Last time Moses went up on a mountain, they waited and waited and waited and gave up. And they said, hey, Aaron, build us a golden calf, please. This time Moses ain't coming back. And Joshua, the one who's always been faithful and has always followed Moses, and he knows that Moses is the one God talks to, he's told, stand up and lead. Moses is gone. He's not coming back. <laughs> What pressure is that? Joshua could have said, I can't do this. I can't do this. How do you how, how do I how do I know that it's God? How, how do I know? We don't think that the people in the Old Testament had the same problems we do, but they did. Joshua knew in that moment that something was going on. Joshua knew that he had to do something and he had that, that in his mind. He knew that he had to move forward. But if he focused where Moses was and he focused on the path, he wouldn't be able to move forward and go where God wanted him to go, where God wanted him to lead everybody else. Church goes focus on the past and when they do that, they can't move forward. But the truth is, the future glory for God's faithful will always be better than past peace or present blessings. God always wants what's best, and what's best is always coming next. It's always going to happen next. God's best is never in the past. It's always in the future. It's always moving forward. That's one of the things I love about the Bible. When you look at the Bible and you begin to read this, you begin in the Old Testament, and three, three chapters in, you're like, oh my goodness, this is falling apart. God made it perfect, and we messed it up. We couldn't, couldn't even keep from eating that one piece of fruit. And we're stuck. And we start there. And we want to think that God, and it says God made it perfect and it was great. And God saw that it was good and it was wonderful. And that's where it was. And we messed it up. But God's best wasn't there at the beginning. God's best happens way back here at the end. And every step in between is God's best is still coming. The best is yet to come. The best is out there somewhere. When we get caught up on our past peace or our present blessing, we forget that there's something better coming. That God has something out there. And it's wonderful. And it's great. And if we don't let go of the past, we never reach it. How many people in churches today aren't living up to their full potential because they're focused back there somewhere? You know, I've had people on the young side. Young is a relative term to me. My grandma, mama, every time I see her, I go to her house, she's, how old's Elvis? Anybody know? 
Nobody knows how old Elvis is. Well, he's not dead, so I mean. Anyway, the same age as Elvis. That's how old she is. 80 something. And every time I show up, she says, Well, you better start coming to visit me more because I'm 80 something years old. I'm not going to be here forever. And I say, Mama, age is a relative term to me. I had a congregation member who was 105 years old. You still got 30 years left. And she looks at me. I'm going, God ain't done. If you woke up this morning, God ain't done. Your best isn't in the past. Your best is in the future. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter if you're a baby or if you're 96 years old this morning. I, I like to bring the, the songs out. That one song, that Christmas song, really just makes me upset. What is it? So what's that song, Carrie? The one that makes me upset because of the ages. So I offer you this simple phrase from kids from 92. Well, what about the 93-year-old? God's not done with you in 93. He's not done with you in 94. He's not done with you in 112. Not no people who live to be that long. The best is always in the future. God always has more out there for you. It doesn't matter where you are. You have to bloom where you're planted. The very first church. I was 24 years old. Thought I knew everything. And I had a woman she had read the Bible through cover to cover every year since she was 60. She had read the Bible through every year cover to cover 20 years longer than I had been alive. And one day she fell in her house. And it scared her. And she moved herself to the nursing home. And it wasn't one of those, those good nurses. And I remember going to the home and sitting with her and visiting with her. And she would always say, that's right, I don't understand it. <coughs> Both my sisters are gone. One of them to be 108, one of them to be 112. Both my sisters are gone. She outlives two husbands. She had no children of her own. She said, Brother Troy, I don't understand why I'm still here. And all I can say was, Miss Faye, God ain't done with you yet. There's something He has for you to do, even in this place. Even here, there's something He has for you. I can't tell you what it is, but He can. And I know you know that. It doesn't matter what age you are. God has something better for you. The best is yet to come. Our past isn't our best, and it never will be. Our future is our best. Maybe this morning you've been stuck in the past. Maybe you've been living your past glory. Maybe you've been saying, well, it was always so much better back then. Wait till you see what God has in store for you. Maybe this morning you keep thinking, Brother Troy, I keep waiting for what's coming next. And it's hard to wait. It's hard to wait. Because life seems to be passing me by and I, I'm not getting that better stuff yet. 
Now's the time to say, okay, God, I'm giving it to you. This morning's Bible reading is one of my favorite there in Isaiah. And Hezekiah is told that he's going to die. <laughs> and he turns around and he prays to God, but he doesn't pray God saved my life. He says, God, remember how faithful I am. And God gives him 15 more years. That's amazing to me. It's amazing to me that that prayer is what changed God's heart. Not the prayer that says, God, please, 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 but the prayer that just says, God, remember that I've been faithful. Give you glory. That's where we're at. But maybe this morning you want to serve the missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church of membership. Maybe you want to rededicate your life. Maybe this morning you've never known Jesus. Maybe, maybe you've heard about him. Maybe you're like John's disciples in Acts 19 this morning. You've heard about Jesus. You know about Jesus. You've tried to follow the things that Jesus said, but you've never made him your Savior. You've never received the Holy Spirit. Now would be a great time to do it. Just walk down to the Detroit. I want to know Jesus. And we'll go from there. But wherever you're at, whatever you're needing, give it to him. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now. We thank you. We praise you for all your blessings.